What have we here? Welcome to the wonders of Thedas. Welcome to the Wonders of Thetis podcast, your one-stop shop for all your Dragon Age role-playing game needs. My name is Ren. And I am Jessica. Welcome back. Happy to have you folks in. And uh, I believe we've got a lot of new listeners this time around. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, we've been, I've been trying to reach out to a lot of folks in a lot of uh, different groups and social media and uh, try and re- you know, especially reached out with folks uh, because we had a poll most recently uh, to know what our next episode was going to be about, and we got a lot of votes. We got in like a little over fifty votes. That's exciting. A lot that more is than really I... exciting. I remember it was kind of uh, touch and go there about which we were going to talk about today. Right? Yeah, it's true. Uh, it came it came down a little close uh, between magic and goodness, uh, the second something one was, that uh, wasn't magic rewards, we ah. about, uh, which we'll cover later. We will cut all those things Spoiler we mentioned alert. before. We'll cover later. Uh, today, yeah, today uh, the most votes came in for magic. So we're going to be talking about magic in the Dragon Age role-playing game. So hope you'll stick in. Hope you'll stick to it with us for a very enchanting episode. Na, 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 na. Uh, we have no news for you this week in Thetis, unfortunately. Uh, I'm sure we'll have something soon. We'll keep our ears to the ground, and if we hear it, hear about it, you're going to hear about it. So, uh, why don't we dive right in? we got a lot of stuff to talk about today, so we'll not waste any time. Uh, first, let us go ahead and consult the Codex. You can ask me questions if you like. I'm not sure why you'd want to, but... Oh, good. Thank you. I'm going to regret this, aren't I? Welcome to the Codex. We've got a lot of questions this time around. Thank you all so much for your, uh, for your submissions. Uh, of course, first we're going to start with the, let's see, unstoppable and uh, downright, uh, goodness, habit-forming, Parsible. <laughs> habit-forming? Habit-forming. Addictive? Addictive. Uh, Is that what you're going for? No, maybe, maybe, more like... Uh, See habitual, habitual. There you go. Let's see our habitual question asker Parsival on the Green Ronin forums. Thank you again. Uh, got two questions for us this time. First one is a really lovely one. Uh, truncated. Beyond the three trees guiding principle, is there anything effectively alien about Elven psychology? Various depictions in fiction, Tolkien, etc., particularly when elves are immortal or extremely long lived, convey an otherness about them that is palpable. Other depictions based more around folklore suggest, stress their wild, capricious fey nature. Are Dragon Age's Dalish elves in roleplay terms basically humans with pointy ears? Um, I actually have some opinions on this one, and obviously, you know, it's not official, so it's just mm-hmm. my take on it. <coughs> <coughs> I'm sorry, guys. I didn't, I've been trying not to cough at you. You know, for a healer, I get sick an awful lot. It's true. We don't have the miracle worker specialization. Maybe we should convert. It's true. And honestly, when we're not recording podcasts, I have a tendency to be pretty healthy. Yeah. Go, go figure. Just go figure. Maybe it's bad luck. Oh, great. That's what I need. No, the uh, the thoughts that I had about this are that I think, and without giving any spoilers to the games, when you come across elves that are... Okay, so there might be some spoilers a little bit. But hmm. when you come across elves that are from the time before... Cover your pointy ears! To Vinter? <laughs> Jeez. Uh, when you come across elves that are from their sort of the grand times that are the ancient times, they are very much aloof and other. Mm-hmm. You get a very strong sense of that in the games. Much closer to the Tolkien's elves. Yeah, very Tolkienian in my opinion. 
However, I think the thing that makes Dragon Age more unique in its portrayal of elves is that they have been mortal for so long and have had human lifespans for so long and have been, let's face it, kind of hosed by society for so long mm-hmm. that that other that aloofness has been sort of replaced with a, something similar to humans as regards their drive and ambition and presence in the world. They're very much present in their moment because they have to be. Like mm-hmm. humans, they don't have too many of them. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the same time, they, they do have a sense of being ostracized that humans in Dragon Age are going to have a very hard time actually comparing with. It's true. Because elves are innately considered inferior in literally every nation in mm-hmm. Thetis. There's a lot of bitterness in being a Dalish elf. Yeah. There's a... <laughs> you can get rid of the, mysti- the mystical aspect and replace it with a whole bunch of bitterness. It's true. Just a lot of, man, I don't like this Shemlin. Let's talk about how awful the Shemlin are. Well, I mean, they're pretty awful, to be fair. Yeah. They're kind of terrible. Yeah, and then, yeah. Yeah. But, uh... I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, that's pretty much it. Humans aren't so great. Yeah, I wouldn't say they're humans with pointy ears, but I would say that they are definitely more psychologically similar to humans than most depictions of elves. It's true. Yeah, yeah. They've only got so long, and it's not like they've had a whole lot of opportunities to find themselves. They have a very different identity than humans do, so they should definitely be... <coughs> They should definitely be role played very differently. They have, mm. you know, like like the whole lost legacy, and uh, we used to be so great. Man, these humans are stupid. Yep. And oh, those poor city elves. That sort of desperate clinging to uh, a paradise that mm-hmm. is no longer theirs, that and a taken... heritage that they will never get back. Right. That has been taken from them twice by the humans. Come on, Shams. Yep. Anyway, so that's my take on it. Yeah, I think it's a pretty solid take. I would not. I don't think I have anything else to add. So I hope that was, I hope that was cool, Parsival. Um, your next question was: I'd like to hear you extrapolate on your own campaign and the plotline you have developed of a new Dalish nation growing in the Brazilian forest. <laughs> Could you tell us more about that? Was it a grant from a grateful King Alistair? What does the Terran of Guaran think about it? Are humans aware of the nation at all? Does it have a name? I have to say that such a plot thread is not impossible to conceive of in Ferelden, one I might use in the background. It sounds like the sort of thing my canon Alistair might do without thinking about the consequences too much. As it happens, it is something that... One one thing that we all seem to have in common is that our canon Alistairs yes. would all have done this. Yep. And that is exactly what happened. We had, uh, we had my character, who is the talkative one, mm-hmm. go and have an audience with him and make a couple of high-level persuasion checks. Mm-hmm. You also talked to him in his dreams, didn't you? I did also go to him in his dreams, but I made sure to use snark because if the, one <laughs> thing my, my character has learned as she's become more world-savvy is that the snarkier you are in Thetis, the more likely you are to be a good person. And for some reason this is true and this continues to It seems to, to work out. You know, the closer they sound to Xander from Buffy the Vampire Slayer... The safer you probably are. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And Alistair is very Whedonite, so uh-huh. she figured she was safe. But he did, in fact, give it to us as a grant from being uh, so helpful with mm-hmm. the uh, blight. You guys did help with the blight, and you also did help with. Uh, you always already got a reputation with him for taking down. Uh, oh yeah, we got rid of the, the noble. Of the half of the first first half of the campaign. 
Yeah, there was there was a noble causing some serious problems, demon cults, what have you. You know. All that good stuff. Yeah, and we uh, his entire court, essentially. Yeah. We took care of it. Mm-hmm. And He's so he gave us that option. Mm-hmm. Uh, the humans are now, if they weren't aware before, they probably are now. Oh, yeah. But uh, aren't the name of the uh, nation, because it just, don't make us think about it too hard, the name is Brasilia. Because, you know, just take the N off and you've got kind of a pretty name. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, uh, we tried to have uh, diplomatic relations. We started to reach out to different countries, but of course first to different towns in Ferelden. Yes. Try to start establishing trade. We know that we can provide unique things from the forest that they can't obtain. We can also make their roads along the forest safer. Which is especially good for those folks who live in Guaran, which is on the opposite side of the Brazilian forest, which means that uh, the Brazilian passage, thanks to the elves, is a lot safer now. Yes, and Guaran is still Ferelden mm-hmm. soil. Yes. we They have access through our, through Brasilia unimpeded. We, mm-hmm. I would imagine, have a specific road just for that. Yes. There probably is already a, ro- a road present. I imagine we have fortified the heck out of it. Yes. As you a guys... sign of good faith. Everyone still gives a lot of leery eyes to the elven nation because, you know, what human is going to trust a bunch of knife ears? Well, you know, we've we've gone and talked to every pompous ruler uh-huh. that there is, and also <laughs> Alistair. It's true. You who guys... is not a pompous ruler, and we love him, and he's a sweet summer child. You guys did kind of save the Empress of Orlais. We also kind of saved the Archon. Also the... Uh... Deventer, we're kind of getting yeah. good at this. You guys are getting pretty good at this. <laughs> <laughs> of course, when you're hitting level 17 and 18, this is the kind of stuff you should be yeah, up This to. is the stuff that you get to do. Uh-huh. You get to save the world. But yeah. As to the last part of your question about your canon, Alistair, I also think that Alistair didn't think about the consequences all the way through with this one either. Mm, no. Nah. I think he was feeling generous. I think he was being Alistair. You know. And I think he might have done something a little rash and we might have taken advantage of it. Uh, you know, but we're gonna we're gonna make good on it. We're gonna make sure that everybody gets something. <laughs> He's probably out of it. gotten a lot of guff from his court about letting the elves squat in the forests. Yeah, but you know now things are safer and it? there's we're, trade coming in. And we weren't using it. Yeah, see that that's it right there. <laughs> what were we gonna do with it? Go say hi to go say hi to the spirits and have some tea. Also, spiders, lots <laughs> of spiders. Spiders don't make good tea. <laughs> that would be the argument right there. <laughs> That is the royal argument. Not my perfect Alistair voice, but hey, there we go. I like it. So um, we could honestly gush about our campaign for hours. Oh, when we we, we could, love. but we won't. We will. We won't. We'll uh, let's see. We'll we'll leave you with that for now, uh, Parsifal. And if you'd like to know more, you can always let us know again. Let us know again. I, I can tell you about it on the forums, or uh, mm. yeah, or we can just keep gushing about it on about it here. We love our <laughs> campaign. Maybe we'll do a uh, post show about it sometime. Maybe we will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe we got more of the players on here. That would be good. So, uh, <coughs> from fellow Green Ronin Forums member PNP Gamer, we have a couple of questions. Thank you so much for your submissions. Um, first question is, one of my players noticed that any kind of stunts can be used in any situation. I tried to apply some unorthodox ones in some situations, but they become an overwhelming list of things monsters and players can do, which seems too excessive. Thoughts about these? Um... Well, first first thought, uh, stunts are very uh, kindly compartmentalized into combat, role-playing, and exploration stunts, so if you're in a combat, role-playing, or exploration encounter, 
maybe start with that list. If you feel like, if you uh, players feel like branching out, then they can go for it. Absolutely. They can draw, draw from as many stunts as they like. Um, at least in my games, how I usually run it is that all stunts are available to you. Just, you can really only use the ones that make sense for the test you're making. Yeah. It's GM fiat. Right. All the time. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of the exploration and roleplay stunts are usually available, uh, but you likely would not be able to, like, perform, uh, let's say, stun silence during combat. Uh, because some people might be able to read that, you know, using stun silence means that they don't do anything for a turn. Which I think is, we did manage that once, but that was only because someone did something so stupid that literally we stopped too. It's and true. Yeah, just no, stopped we, and stared. Everyone just took around to admire the stupidity. I don't even remember what it was. I don't remember <laughs> what it was, but I know what happened. <laughs> maybe my mind blanked it out. It was so uh, stupid. I'm going to assume it's Callian. Maybe? That's my safest bet. Seems, it seems like a fairly safe bet. Um, so, let you. Uh, um, it is a fairly large list. Uh, yeah. There's over 30 stunts to pick from. Um, feel free to, you can, of course, um, as the GM, limit any time that a stunt is, <coughs> stunt points are, uh, possible to generate on a, on a test that a PC is taking. So you can always limit it that way. You could, even if you want to limit to, uh, the stunt selection to the type of encounter that you're in, that's perfectly fine. Um, your players can always just look at the stunts that they've got for that encounter, and if they feel like it, they can kind of glance at the other ones. Um, but stunts should always be uh, approached gradually as a group, especially if you're new to the system. Because absolutely, if you like, uh, when the first time the player rolls two sixes, uh, two sixes, and has a five on the dragon die, and you hand them three handouts and like pick one of these, go for it. And then if they, you're a mage, this, you've got four sets of things. A, to by look the way, at. if you're a mage, here's this extra. Stu- here's this extra one. And if you're a mage with this magical expertise talent, you have this one too. You have no. You have like six more uh, yeah. tables. So. Definitely get into it slowly. Don't throw it all at them at once. Um, and of course, if they feel up for it, if they ask for it, go for it. Have some fun. So, um, yeah, uh, you are in control, PNP gamer. So uh, exercise some control uh, over how many stunts are available, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Um, your next question: uh, One other thing would uh, one other thing you'd like to ask about would how to be how it would be to how to use stunt points if you are doing something that is a two or three part check. Example that you gave us: One of my players has to use strength jumping to reach a spider on the ceiling, and also wanted to backstab, so the player had to make a dexterity stealth test, uh, and then did a normal weapon attack. If each of these generated stunts, how should they be used? Could the stunt points be stacked and move on to the attack with it without it being too excessive? Um, one thing we have, I don't think, uh, Dexterity Stealth for Sneak Attack has ever generated stunt points for us. Mm-hmm. Because... The- I could see it's, uh, maybe in a later game I might allow it. Yeah, I could see that being a little bit excessive, though. Mm-hmm. You think so? Possibly. I don't know, maybe it's because mm-hmm. we've got that combination where she's doing penetrating damage all the time. <laughs> it might be the combination of what we're doing. Maybe not good for... <laughs> Our game. Maybe not good for our game, but it could be good for someone else's game. Yeah, it, it could it could be cool. Uh, for strength jump or dexterity stealth, I, I figure skirmish would be something you would allow yeah. with that. Uh, as Maybe I, jump I, a little bit higher. Yeah. As I said, before, as I did say, if this stunt makes sense for this test you're making, then you can probably pick from the stunt points that are there. Yeah. But the stunt point rules, of course, also clearly state that when you generate stunt points, you have to spend them right away. You don't get to save them for later. Yeah, so you can't really stack them and move them over onto the attack. Mm-hmm. 
that and would end up being quite excessive, especially if you've got two checks worth right. of stunt points. Someone did point out on the forums, I think it might have been PNP Gamer, that um, rogues could should probably, or that somebody should uh, said that rogues should enjoy uh, those extra stunt points on the dexterity stealth tests because they don't have too much of an edge in combat situations. So it could give them an extra little something-something. Yeah, our rogue doesn't seem to need it, but... It's true. I think and, that in some situations that could be useful. And again, there are probably only a couple stunts that... <laughs> probably only a few stunts that actually make sense for making a dexterity stealth test. So things like skirmish, or maybe even if you want to get really nice, like a setup. Mm-hmm. So you can set it up, set up an opening for your friends. Or, or decoy if they're at that point. Right. If they're, yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, if they're a shadow. Um... Maybe even something like Tower of Will, or with a with a flourish, I could totally see do, see happening. Yeah, that could be scary if somebody just disappear right in front of you. Yeah, but um, stacking up stun points to be used on an attack later in the round is definitely not a go go. Um, as per the standard rules, as per the as per the rules in the core rulebook, um, you may not do that. Um, if you want to allow them to do that, that of course is your choice. Um, but. <laughs> The rules do say that you have to use the stun points right now when you get when you generate them. You don't get to save them for later. If you don't use them, they're gone. But do what feels right for your party. Yes. Uh, third question from PNP Gamer. Thank you so much for all these questions. Uh, you said my player wanted to repair his human-made light uh, light mail armor, which received acid flask damage. Uh, I said no due to him not having a smithing focus. He had plenty to spare versions of light mail uh, armor looted from Darkspawn in order to switch good parts. I did not want to say it, but I feel I had to, because to me the armor was already too damaged for an inexperienced person to repair it. How do you guys feel about required focuses in order to even try something? I think that they're a good idea. And they're already presented in, you know, really early in the book, even in set one box sets. Some tests require a certain focus. Yep. Some things just require specific knowledge. Uh, most cases I use it for things like um, cunning lore tests. Requires mm-hmm. you to know... You have to have studied this thing to know about certain yeah. things. That's a big one for that to make sense on. Mm-hmm. Also, like, I'm pretty sure that if I had armor and it got half destroyed by acid, mm-hmm. I myself do not know how to fix armor. So I myself would do a terrible job of trying to fix it. Mm-hmm. That is not a skill that I possess as a person. Therefore, I probably shouldn't be able to even try. Mm-hmm. It, it will turn out to be a mistake. Your players are going to have extra money anyway, or probably. Or, yeah, or you, know, you can, can hire somebody to do it, or take yeah, sure. the focus. Yeah. Maybe just maybe have the have the NPC charge maybe like half of the armor's cost if they're feeling really like gouge, price gougy. That would be super price gougy. That would be pretty price gougy. That would be for like really stingy folks. Like, or, or if more the like armor a, is almost completely destroyed. Right. But if it's just you know like lost half its armor rating, maybe a fifth of the price. Yeah. Um. So. We definitely, so, um, it also kind of makes, you know, (coughs) it makes picking specific focuses, uh, uh, feel more meaningful. Mm -hmm. Uh, like the character's choice, uh, really mattered, like, uh, whether, what they have is useful. Um, but thank you again, PMP Gamer, for all your questions. Um, newcomer on the podcast, we have Gabriel Fua, uh, from Google Plus, asked us a question. Oh, Google Plus. Mm Mm-hmm. 
your question, Gabriel, was uh, what essential homebrew rules do you recommend given your experience with running the game for your group all the way to the higher levels? Some suggested using decks for melee attacks instead of strength. Some suggested getting rid of magic and using cunning and will, a la Fantasy Age. That type of stuff. Um, and we don't actually use a lot of house rules. Yeah, we're... we don't, but I remember there was one you were talking about you would have implemented if it had existed when we started, and that was using willpower more Yeah, I, as far I, as mages and magic go. Yeah, I do like how uh, Fantasy Age handles magic, and we'll actually be covering that in more detail in a later podcast. Um, but Fantasy Age um, moved a couple of abilities around and also spread out how spellcasting works. Uh, you use intelligence, which is uh, which cunning became intelligence, uh, you use intelligence for casting the spell, and then you use willpower for uh, determining how powerful the spell is or how many targets it can affect, um, or how or how long the durations are, um, which is not not a bad thing. It kind it keep it makes um, it gets rid of the Dragon Age's occasional problem where a mage who you know understandably hmm. wants their magic to go through the roof means that all of their spells are just very powerful, which. For Dragon Age, personally, I think it works just fine. Yeah. Um, but I definitely see the appeal of using maybe magic to cast and then willpower to determine how powerful they are. Yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't get rid of magic entirely. No. Simply because that would boost cunning to an extremely powerful level for Dragon Age. Mm-hmm. It's like, here are all the lore talents, here's all of this, here's all of that. Also, now your mage only has two primary ability scores. Mm-hmm. What you gonna do with that? Mm-hmm. <coughs> I'm trying, I'm sorry. You're fine. I'm trying not to die. That's okay. You're fine. You're a spirit healer. You'll be able to fix it, right? Or, you know, just become a spirit mage. I mean, that's that how it works. That works too. You'll be a really cool abomination. Oh, thanks, baby. <laughs> You're my abomination. Aww. <laughs> well, here's hoping nobody else becomes an abomination while we talk yes, about nice. our main topic. Yes. Uh, thank you. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, well. Oh, we've got, a, we've got other stuff. You're right. We're, we're, we're jumping the gun a bit. That's all right. Um, so yeah, thank you, sense. everybody, for your questions. If you have a question about the Dragon Age RPG, any question of any kind, whether it's lore or mechanics, send us a message to podcast at gmail.com. Send it to us through our Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, or SoundCloud accounts, or send a personal message to Cut the Protector or... Healerpuff, technically. On, <laughs> on the Green Running Forums. That's me. Send it to Cut the Protector, probably. I might check it sometime. It won't be today. That's fair. I check it habitually, so I check it habitually, so I'm a good person to send it to. Um, so uh, we've still got a little bit to talk about before we get into our very magical main topic. So we're going to go ahead and open our books to the dissonant verses. Do you ever wonder what lies at the edges of the map, past the seas? No. I think we have enough to worry about on this continent. Of course, but. Welcome to the Dissonant Verses, our fan creation spotlight. Uh, We've got an interesting one for you, folks. Uh, For those of you who don't mind crunching some numbers and equations, especially for those of you who love it, uh, we have a blog that was written by Green Ronims Forum member, uh, I believe it is, it's MDL3, uh, maybe it's Middle 3, how you say it? Your guess is as good as mine. Fair enough. Well, um... Well, I'm a I'm a numbers nerd, so gotcha. I'm down for this. Yeah, uh, their blog, Herding Dice, discusses the math of Dragon Age and Fantasy Age, and they they go into it. They they see they are down for it. They got graphs, and they got uh, see, and they're setting up equations and stuff. It's 
goes a bit over my head, personally. I've got to check it out. Yeah. Sounds really good. They look into the progression of experience gaining in age games and give suggestions for rewarding experience in other ways. A little bit closer to like how Pathfinder and Dungeons and Dragons do it. Like you get mm-hmm. experience per every enemy you take down. Um, that can get see. so complicated and bogged down though. It, it can. But it um, could also, like I could see that mm-hmm. making it, perhaps you could make it more variable how people level up. and mm-hmm. It's true. Adjust it more effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, they look into uh, the problem of health bloat and chart the health values for creatures in the fantasy in fantasy age in comparison to their constitution scores. Um, let's see. They look into different methods of tracking movement on grids. They examine armor ratings of creatures in fantasy age and many more things. And of course, um, in addition to their blog, they usually have links to the forums, uh, the Green Running forums, where they usually have a thread where they talk to people about it and they get and they get some feedback on it. So. As you can see, these calculations can help you get maximum control out of your game. And if you feel like, uh, let's see, throwing numbers at, let's see, at MDL3 or Middle 3, um, or let's see, our numbers master here, uh, you can let's see, you can get on the forums, you can talk to them about it, talk shop and talk about a math shop and um, find out how to t- fine-tune Dragon Age or Fantasy Age so that it is under the most control that you can have it and it's just the way you like it. So... Uh, thank you, uh, MDL3, Middle 3. Thank you so much for your submission. We really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, as always, you can find uh, you can find this submission and more who had archived in our resources for your game page on our blog, onedasthefatestpodcast.wordpress.com. If you'd like to let us know about some custom Dragon Age RPG content or even send us your own, you can send a message to onedasthefatestpodcast at gmail.com, send it to us through our Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, or SoundCloud accounts, or send a personal message to Cut the Protector. Uh, on the Green Running Forums, that's me. I mean, you could send one to Healer Puck, but I would. <laughs> I would. It would be a mistake. But I, but I like you. You could just talk to me. I mean, yeah, I could. <laughs> but maybe if I just wanted to be really round about it that, about be, it that day. Just be difficult. Yeah, just be difficult. It's fun. You, you know, fun stuff. Mm. Anyway, um, let's talk about some other fun stuff. Some very, oh, um, I love this. I'm very excited. Some very magically story. fun stuff. We got a lot to talk about, so we'll go straight into it. This is our main topic for today. Is it fate or chance? I can never decide. Welcome to the main topic. We are talking about magic, one of the most dangerous subjects in Thetis. That's fun, right? That's super fun. Uh huh. Yeah, this is not a subject to take lightly when you're talking about it out loud around. Let's out loud around uh, Denarim. Some yeah. you're, gonna, you're gonna turn some heads if you start talking magical theory. It's really only something to do inside a circle of magi or to anywhere in Tevinter. I mean, I guess if you're at some sort of meeting of Dalish keepers, you could probably do it there too. Eh, probably, yeah. Unless you're talking about spirit magic, then you're not not allowed. Right. Well, we're going to talk about uh, first. We're going to talk about the actual mechanics of magic in the Dragon Age role playing game, and then we'll go into the lore of ma- of magic in Dragon Age to let's see get your uh, strudel stirring around in the noodle, get your uh, creative minds moving. Hey, you like that you one? can't really take that back. No, I'm not planning on taking it back. It's all of yours now. You can have it. You don't it. really stir a strudel. Yeah, now you do. That In your noodle. Back, that would, no. <laughs> this, this weird food-related <laughs> phrase is just not... It's there now. See, I, you see what I did there, guys? 
magic. Oh, that's what that it was. That was what it was. So, we will jump straight into the rules of magic in Dragon Age, the crunch of magic. Pretty uh, basic, though. You yeah. guys should have your book, right? Mm-hmm. You, got you, your all dra- have, you bought the book, right? I hope you bought the book. Uh, turn your core rule books to page 105, and we'll start at the uh, the magic rules. It's really not that long, guys. Um, of course, chapter 5 is definitely a chapter we're checking out because it talks about uh, the Circle of Magi. It talks about the Templar Order. Um, and it gives you a couple of magical loadouts that are really cool ideas. talks about... Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much all the stuff we're going to talk about today, but, um, you know, in a little bit more detail because we're going over it nice and quick. So, um, using magic, um, of course, is a rule set that only the mages have access to. Mm -hmm. So, if you are planning on playing a mage, you are definitely going to want to start reading at page 105. Um, so to start, um, you're going to have to, especially as a level one mage, you're going to have to pick some spells. Um, you, uh, beginning mages always start with three spells, uh, and page 105 has a couple of loadouts that you can start with if you want to specialize in a very specific kind of magic right away, or if you want to be a balanced mage. They have a couple of suggestions for you, um, but Dragon Age has like 80, 90 spells to pick from, so feel free to yeah. take your time and look through them. There's some really cool stuff in there. You are, of course, not limited to these loadouts that they list. Um, you can pick any three spells that you like. Um, but they but must not have a prerequisite of their own. Correct. If they have something, if they have anything listed in the requirements other than none, you may not select it at level one. Sorry, kids. No fireball at first level. Right. Can't go burn, flame blast, then uh, flaming weapons, and then straight to fireball. It's fun. Also, but... you would probably get possessed pretty yeah. quickly. That's a, that's a, uh, that's a, you know, yeah. It's yeah, not you, a spell for You can for get possessed in this game. We'll, we'll mention that part here coming up pretty soon. That's fun, right? So, um, you of course learn new spells by, uh, your class powers. You gain a new spell, I believe every even numbered level. Uh, yes. and of course if you take certain talents, you can also gain extra spells from a very specific school. Um, and of course you must meet the requirements that the spell, uh, lists in order to be able to take the spell. And usually it means that you have to have a spell before it. Uh, sometimes it means you have to have a specific talent or a specific specialization talent. So um, keep an eye out for that. If you've played Dragon Age Origins, a lot of these are actually going to be arranged similarly. If you remember the big grid of selecting magic spells uh, and the progression that those spells went in, they're pretty much the same. Um, except they switched around lightning and shock. Shock comes first now instead of lightning. That's okay. Yeah, it's fun. Um, and of course, uh, to be able to use these spells in the first place, uh, all mages have access to a pool of mana. Uh, it takes the magical energy of living beings to power these spells. Um, whenever you see... So, um, you start with one, 10 plus 1 magic plus 1d6, and you add, get a little extra more when you level up. Um, each spell listed in its little snap block is going to have a, a uh, mana cost. Yep, if you don't have enough mana, you cannot cast the spell. Correct. Um, whenever you want to cast a spell, you have to uh, spend you have to spend the mana first, and then you can start uh, a ca- let's see uh, a casting roll. Uh, you roll your three d sixes. You mm-hmm. add your magic. And Try to hit the target number. Mm-hmm. If you have the focus for the school of magic for the spell is from, then you get that plus two. Um, the spells, yeah, the spells all have a target number listed. If you hit that target number, you cast the spell. If not, if not, certain um, things can right. Uh, if the spell doesn't have requirements, it, it's, it, it just means that you spend the mana and nothing happens. Uh, the spell just doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, so for your basic, like, mind blast, heal, yeah. what have you, if you fail it, you just fall back on your butt. And yep. Don't get to cast the spell. Mm-hmm. 
But for anything that is a prerequisite. Well, you don't fall down uh, just for oh, straight up it's just failing. regular fail? Yeah. For just straight up regular failing a spell, nothing happens, but you spend the mana anyway. Okay. Let's see. And of course, um, on that casting roll, if you roll stunt points, if you roll doubles, you can uh, choose from the standard spell stunts table, which is on page 106, and is probably going to be on any handouts that your GM hands to you, uh, and of course in the appendix in the back of the core rulebook. Um, you get to pick from those spell, from those stunts, I, let's see, the language of it tells me that you might not be able to pick from other stunt tables when you're casting a spell because you're doing it, something it so It wouldn't specific. make sense to really be able to do that. Yeah. Because you could stack on, like, Mighty Spell, Mighty Blow, Lethal Blow, if you got lots of I'm lots pretty of things, sure the but... blow, the Mighty yeah. Blow, Lethal Blow stuff wouldn't so, work here. it's probably the case. <laughs> I say probably because it's not necessarily a technical ruling, but you can probably safely assume that if you're casting a spell, you can only pick stunts from the spell stunts table. Of course, you know, GM's call. Yeah. Always. Yeah, if GM wants to all out, yeah, go for it. Uh, uh, would potentially have some consequences, so just be aware. If you do fail your mm-hmm. test... And yes. it is a spell with a prerequisite. Then you need to make a willpower self-discipline test. Well, if you uh, if you fail it... Oh, like, and your dragon die is a one. So three requirements. I haven't failed in a long time, guys. <laughs> if you're casting a spell, it has a requirement, and you uh, if you fail to cast the spell, it has a requirement, and you roll a one on the dragon die, then that means a magical mishap occurs. Uh, more powerful magic has the tendency to go awry. Then um, this can mean a lot of things. Um, when there is a, uh, a mishap, you have to make a willpower self-discipline test in order to keep the mana at least somewhat under control. Um, you have to hit the same target number that the spell had. Um, and if you fail, uh, let's see, successful test means that you just get knocked, that the magic just knocks you on your butt. Um, which, let's see, so then you you know have the, all the um, problems of being prone. Yeah. Um, you can pay the mana's original cost again if you don't want to get knocked on your butt, but... Uh, it's not worth it. You don't really, you can... It's a minor it, action to stand yeah. up. Especially if it's a, it. uh, especially if it's a cheap spell, I guess. Uh, if you can't afford to fall down, like if you're being surrounded That's and you true. don't want to get any more bonuses to hit you. Um, if you're a mage, they're going to hit you. Right. Sorry. If you fail that willpower test to avoid a magical mishap, uh, you look at the dragon die, and that is what tells you uh, what comes up on the magical mishaps table on on the top right corner of page one oh seven. And they, um, they get progressively nastier as yes. they go down. Mm-hmm. If you fail with the six on the dragon die, uh, you can lose your character. That's true. If you uh, if you fail at that point, a target number 13 faith or self-discipline willpower test. Every two minutes. Every four, every eight rounds of combat. You have combat. to make one. And if you fail, your character is gone. Yep, your character. Gone, gone. Turn, and, well, your character is gone, and then their body turns into an abomination that your friends get to fight. Yep. You know. Because that's fun. So, so be careful. Yeah. So uh, make sure you're not neglecting that willpower stat. Yeah. That is the big reason why mm-hmm. we don't want to neglect our willpower. Yes. Um, if your willpower starts getting good enough, um, let's see, it starts getting high enough, it does, uh, you can actually end up, if you get it high enough, start eliminating the possibility that certain magical mishaps could occur. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you've got a six on the dragon die and say, and you rolled you know two other numbers, uh, you're going to get at least an eight. Uh, so if your willpower plus the willpower self discipline focus adds up to enough, um, then that means you're going to succeed in the willpower self discipline test anyway. 
So, uh, willpower, keep it up there so that we don't uh, get thrown into the Fade. And so that you don't get a demon possessing you, you could be lost in the Fade. Uh, the spell could do something completely different than what you were expecting it to. Um, there's, there's a whole lot of things that could do. There's a lot of stuff that but could you, happen. you bought the book, right? You bought the book, yeah. You can go check it out, page 107. Core rulebook. Um, now, casting a spell is usually going to be enough. Um, all you need to worry about is successfully casting the spell. But... Uh, some spells allow the chance for their targets to resist the, to resist the spell. Mm-hmm. Um, when a target wants to resist a spell, they have to roll a test that is determined by the spell uh, and see against a target number equal to your spell power. Uh, your spell power is going to be a stat that you're going to have to derive and probably want to keep written down on your character sheet. Uh, your spell power uh, determines how powerful your spells are and how difficult they are to resist. Um, your spell power is 10 plus your magic score, plus the focus, if applicable. If so, if you mm. have the primal focus and you cast a primal spell, then your spell power gets that plus two bump. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of magic items that mm-hmm. will also boost spell power, it's but true. they are not very common. So mm-hmm. There's even some spell stunts that'll boost, uh, there's even a spell stunt that'll boost spell power. Yep. Making it more difficult to resist. If they succeed, they usually get a lesser version of what you wanted to have happen to them. Mm-hmm. And if they fail... They take the full effect. That's pretty much the long and short of how magic works. Yeah. It's the basic mechanics. Um, we can mention that you can get that getting mana points back um, requires either you for you to rest for an hour, it gives you a D6 plus magic mana back, or if you get a full eight hours of sleep, you get all your mana back. Uh, Bilerium potions. Bilerium potions. Do it. It's a good idea. Um, and one last thing. Um, mages can technically wear armor, um, but it is usually considered not a good idea because when a mage wears armor... Uh, first of all, they're not capable. They're not really prote- uh, uh, proficient at using it, like a warrior or a rogue. Which Unless means... you take a certain specialization. Correct. Yes. Unless you take a super cool specialization, um, you are going to not only be taking a penalty to your dexterity because of the armor. You're also going to be gaining what is called strain, which is extra mana you have to pay every time you cast a spell while wearing the armor. Um, it starts at one when you're uh, one strain when you wear light le- leather, and it goes all the way up to six strain when you're wearing heavy plate. Just, just get the rock armor spell. Yeah, just get the rock armor spell. It's, it's, it's great. That's and, what it's for. Yeah, maybe even the arcane shield spell. I probably should have gotten that one in retrospect. Might have meant I wouldn't have been hit. But, or fade shield. <laughs> uh, fade shield is the upgraded version. Oh, well, it's a really nice one. It, it's, it's nice. It's, it's, it makes it your spell power plus two. It makes your it, yeah, your defense yeah. makes you a not hittable mage. Mm-hmm. Of course, we're not going to go into all the spells. No. There's a lot of spells no, available. No, there's a lot of spells. 80, 90, 90 plus spells. I think I cast, counted it at 98 if you include blood magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do go the... into some of the spells in, mm-hmm. uh, we've talked about spirit magic and mm-hmm. all the magic. Oh, but yeah. And... Um, I just say spirit magic because I'm thinking about my favorite spell. Hmm. But... Which one is that one? Well, if you listen to previous episodes, you'll probably know which one that is. That one would be... Telekinetic weapons. The freaking bane of my existence as a GM. It's... Telekinetic weapons is a sweet spell. I'm kind of surprised I haven't used it against you guys yet. Well, it's because we tend to... We're, right now we're fighting evil elves and stuff. Yeah. We don't want to use spirit they magic. Use it's spirit squeaky. Ma- yeah, it's weird. Well... Some of the demons you come up against, you know. Yeah, I really case. don't know why you haven't used it against us yet. I'm <laughs> hoping you forget about it before you start hey, playing you know, things. you know, whatever. So, <coughs> you got lots of spells to pick from. <coughs> You're a mage. You cast spells. Um, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about magic. 
in Thetis. We'll talk about being a mage. Uh, because there's quite a bit mm-hmm. to a lot more to it than just rolling dice and looking at numbers. Yep. We gave you the basics of the crunchy part, and now mm-hmm. here's all the delicious marshmallowy fluff. Yes. Delicious. Num. <laughs> Don't. Don't you agree, uh, Nugmeg? Thank you. Nugs, nugs don't understand the concept of magic. Or do they? Da da da. Da na 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 na. I'm not sure I was going with this. Anyway, uh, musical company accompaniment aside, uh, magic is a natural part of Phaedus, uh, as much as many in the chantry would like to deny it. Um, but magic is just as much a natural force in Thetis as things like gravity and say so, yeah, like gravity and breathing air. Yeah, it is. It, it is something that is a part of the world and will never not be, as far mm-hmm. as we can tell. That's true. Um, it is a unique force that only a few people, only a few rare people in Thetis, comparatively, uh, proportionally, have the ability to to use. These people, of course, are referred to as mages. Uh, magic is understood as an energy that comes from the fade in the form of mana. Uh, the fade which we'll get to in a later podcast, is the realm of dreams, where people go when they sleep. Uh, and is also the realm where spirits come from, come from uh, including their more malicious counterparts, demons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but magic is, uh, let's see, mana is the raw energy that permeates all things, and some claim it may be the source of life itself, which is another hotly debated topic, I'm sure, if you go to a chant, if uh, you're talking to a chantry hardliner. Mm-hmm. But the practice of drawing upon and manipulating that mana is called magic. Uh, and it is this ability that defines a mage from other people. I've also heard it as the ability to pull some of the Fade's energy mm-hmm. into the waking world. Yeah. It's... Like, I heard that magic is generally powered from the Fade. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, probably where, it's probably where it comes from, where mana comes from in the first place. Probably. Mm-hmm. Maybe. No one's really sure. Um, mm. <laughs> search us. I just do stuff. We just do stuff with magic. Uh, I make rocks poke out of my skin. You know, what do you want from me? <laughs> Some people define it as um, how is uh, kind of like bringing the fade into the real world. That's um, literally what I just in a little, in a, in a, Well, like, um, in a such a way that the fade is the realm of dreams where concepts and uh, uh, thoughts are what define what is existence. So magic is kind of pulling on the power of the fade to like question reality. Uh, and well, make it not even question, but alter it. Yeah, yeah to, make it, to make it malleable. Um, now, of course, to do that, every mage has a pool of mana, which in the game we call mana points, or MP for short. Uh, this pool of power is their capacity for drawing upon the powers of magic. Mana is to uh, see, mana is to magic as breath is to breathing. Uh, you cannot use more than you have, and to do so is potentially fatal. Now, uh, you can <laughs> feasibly use more mana than you would technically have, but... In that case, you would have to draw on a different source of energy. Mm-hmm. And the place where the most magic resides in most mages is the blood. Mm-hmm. So while there's no yeah, there's no ruling that you can draw on more than your mana, but a GM could feasibly offer a player the opportunity in a desperate circumstance, or if they have, say, I don't know, the blood mage. Especially if they have that one. Because I think that actually just lets them do stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. But uh, could let them pull from their hit points to fuel their spells. Of course, it's going to be expensive. Like, oh, yeah. Especially if you're not a trained blood mage. Mm-hmm. But, uh, like, two health gives one mana. And if you drop to zero health, just like normal, hey, you're dying. Except you kind of did it to yourself. 
This is not an uncommon mm. end for blood mages, I think. It's true. It's dangerous. Um, But it can save your life mm -hmm. in the right circumstance. Your mana is finite. Um, But, uh, let's see, magic is in all things in this. Every person who is living there technically has a magic score, even if it's zero. Or a negative one. Or a negative one. In our rogue's case. Yes. So when some spells come along, nobody likes that. Yeah. Um, A person's magic score can measure, like, an innate ability to understand or resist magic effects, even if the person cannot manipulate mana itself. Uh, this can be very useful against certain magic schools, especially uh, Entropy and, I think, a couple of spells in Spirit. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a handful of them. Um, mostly Entropy, which yeah. makes it particularly nasty for avoiding, unless you are also a mage uh, or a Templar. Some GMs may, however, call on magic tests for a person to get, like, a feeling about their surroundings, especially if magics are involved. Like, if you if a fight, if a warrior's got, you know, a three magic and, a, and maybe took the spirit focus, maybe they can kind of, like, get a little tingling. It shouldn't inform them nearly as much as a mage should be informed. Um, mm-hmm. But, you yeah, know, maybe like a little sixth sense. Yeah. Uh, that could be fun. Everybody's technically got mana in them, just... Uh, let's see, just mages the ones that can use it. Can just you can just use it all the time, yeah. So, um, <coughs> of course, uh, a very special thing about uh, Dragon Age is that uh, any race can be a mage except for dwarves. Yep. Dwarves are the only race in Thetis who cannot become mages, as their ancestors lived in close proximity uh, to a very special mineral called lyrium for generations, uh, which gives them a kind of resistance to magic. Um, they do not go to the fade uh, when they sleep, when they sleep, and uh, they do not have dreams. Uh, but humans, elves, and canary are all capable of dreaming and performing magic just as well as each other. Yep, magic is not particularly stronger in any one of those three races. It's true. All of them can use magic perfectly fine. They tend to focus on different things. The elves but... did it first. <laughs> the elves did it. The elves did it the best. Yeah. But as a character, you can safely choose whichever one of those you want. Oh, yeah. Just magic's, magic's not going to work differently depending on your uh, your race. Unless, of course, you're a dwarf, in which case it doesn't, <laughs> it work, doesn't at work at all. It doesn't work at all. So, um, magic's not safe. We it's, may have covered that a little bit, but yes, let's, um, let's uh, reiterate. People are scared of magic. Um, manipulating mana is not as simple as it sounds, and most mages realize their talents by accident. Usually unpleasant accident. Yeah. Sometimes it can be something really subtle, when thankfully really subtle, like when eye color spontaneously changes. Mm-hmm. Or it can be, you know, setting a barn on fire. Oops. Yeah, that that's fun, right? That's how Wynn found out. <laughs> Accidentally a whole barn. Accidentally the whole barn. Um, but learning to control mana with refinement and grace, uh, let alone to cast spells, is tricky and dangerous and requires not only aptitude but a very strong will. Uh, and a lot of patience and uh, intelligence to learn how to do it. Um, not controlling magic properly can result in ca- can create catastrophic results uh, for the caster or their allies. Not only this, but mages, perhaps because of their innate connection to the Fade, are more visible to spirits on the other side of the veil. Um, this means that the more malicious spirits can see mages more easily and seek them out like beacons. Mm-hmm. Um, when a mage loses control of their magic, as we mentioned in the Magical Mishaps, uh, they can potentially draw the attention of a hungry demon, uh, who will attempt to possess them. If the mage cannot fend off the demon in the Fade, the demon possesses their body, controlling their movements, and even using the body as a channel for the demon's own magical powers. 
this horrific union is called an abomination. It is the source of some of the greatest fears people have about magic. Abominations can vary in power, but some have burned countrysides for years before being brought down, slaughtering everyone in their path. Yep, and with extraordinarily few exceptions, there is no coming back from being an abomination. That's true. Once a mage has become an abomination, that mage themselves is now gone. Mm-hmm. They're, they're gone. You have to hand in the character sheet. Yep. There, obviously, there are always things that break the rules. But of course, naturally. More or less. <coughs> Unless you've got yourself something like the Litany of Adrala, mm-hmm. you are probably not coming back. Probably not. Uh, but since any mage can become an abomination, no matter how powerful they are, they are watched very closely and they are very heavily policed. And this is one of the um, main, this is one of the really big things about magic that scares people. Yeah. Um, and of course, stories about abominations do nothing to curb that fear. Uh, if you choose to play a mage, this should be at the back of your mind at any time to make sure that a demon can't get there. Yep, just always, as a mage in Thetis, you are always aware that you could be possessed. Mm-hmm. Every, nobody, nobody is exempt from it. Um, so we mentioned a uh, little thing called lyrium earlier. It, it is something worth talking about because it is definitely uh, involved with magic. It is a strange glowing blue mineral that is the only non-living thing that contains the spark of magic. It is only mined by the dwarves because of the resistance, and even for them it is very dangerous when not handled carefully. Um, Valerian was just kind of like magic rocks. It can be, uh, if, if it can be mined safely, which the dwarves know how to do, it can be used to craft magic items, uh, it can be used in rituals to project a mage's mind into the Fade, you can use it to make magic potions that restore mana, uh, giving mages a larger pool of power. Uh, to venture, uh, see, the Templars even use Lyrium to gain to gain and enhance their magic dispelling abilities. And uh, to keep them. Yeah, yeah. It it can be addictive, it, uh, that Lyrium. And by can be, I mean mm-hmm. in regular usage almost always is. Yes. Uh, Lyrium is definitely not safe. It's also definitely not safe. Uh, perhaps even more, uh, even less safe than just, you know... Let's see than regular magic because it is, um, especially when it is encountered uh, in its raw form, um, especially by those who are sensitive to magic in the first place, it can cause a lot of problems. Like death. Like death. If you eat regular raw lyrium, it pretty much basically kills you. Yeah. Um, let's see, and even just being close to it for a while, you can cause things like deafness, memory loss, nausea, and very extreme cases, madness. Um, and of course. And see, it is it is addictive. Extremely uh, so. Once you get and see, even if you uh, let's see, even if you have it um, uh, refined, let's see, uh, like turned it like melted into a liquid. Which or, I would uh, imagine it would ground be ground to dust. It would be not so much refined as cut. Right. Because if you refined it, it would get even more dangerous. That is right. Yeah, they they call it. I guess it's more like a, like a distilling kind of thing, or like a like a. Um, am I using any of the right words? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they fix lyrium into potions. Yeah, they usually call. They usually say that they refine it. Okay. Um, so it might just mean it might mean something different in the context of lyrium. Um, but once it's turned into a liquid or a dust, it can generally be very be safer. But even then, caution is always advised. Um, most also claim that they can hear a song that comes from lyrium, and the chantry claims that that is the song of the maker that they're hearing because, uh, of course, they'd say that. <laughs> praise the maker. Uh huh. The Chantry thinks that it is uh, not so much the essence of magic, but the essence of all creation. 
See what is left over from the remnants of the birth of the world, Quo, uh, and the Maker made everything. You know. Wow. Isn't that cool? That's pretty impressive. Praise Andraste. She's the coolest. She is pretty cool. And Andraste herself is actually pretty cool. We might talk about her later. Um, uh, probably but, not today, but but uh, regular lyrium is not the only kind of lyrium. That's true. I recall. Uh huh. There is a more sinister form of lyrium. Uh, only very recently explored in the history of uh, in the history of Thetis is red lyrium. Now I don't believe there's there are any official rules that talk about red lyrium or its exposure. Are there? Correct. There are none, and there aren't even technically any uh, game rules about being exposed to regular lyrium. <coughs> Could be a fun thing to write uh, for the dissonant verses. Hint, hint. Wink, wink. Oh, please do, guys. Of course, uh, somebody's already kind of beaten us to it, uh, and I'll probably have to post that on later if I can get their permission. Oh. Uh, we've got some rules for a red lyrium, uh, for red lyrium infection. Ooh. See. Maybe we'll get to talk about yeah. that next time. You'll have to show up next time on Wonders of Thetis. Um, but uh, red lyrium for was, uh, was discovered not too long ago, uh, and say technically in the, nine, the year 931, by the champion, by who would later become the champion of Kirkwall, who went on an expedition to the Deep Roads. Uh, they found Sea Dragon Age Two. Sea Dragon Age Two. They find a primeval tag, and there is this weird red lyrium stuff that is just snaking through everything. Uh, and they start hearing this creepy song, and they find this little idol made of it, and it causes a lot of problems. Oh, no spoilers! But basically, red lyrium can give magic esque powers to people that don't have it, right? Yeah, even people who are not mages who cannot manipulate mana. Just being in possession of red lyrium can grant you some rather creepy, creepy powers. It also makes you all blighted and yeah, because out of your mind, right? Because the red red lyrium uh, carries the taint of the dark spot with it, uh, which possibly gives it its red color. Um, no one really knows how lyrium could get blighted like that, but what happens here if it a is. gray warden mage uses red lyrium? Um, Probably bad the, stuff. They already have the taint, though. Uh, yeah, a great warden could probably get away with it a little more easily than a regular person. Yeah. I could see it. Maybe. Mm. They don't explore it much in Inquisition. Of course, the great wardens are a little busy in Inquisition. Yeah. You should go play Inquisition, because it's cool. The great wardens are up to stuff. But, uh, uh red lyrium. Don't touch it. Red lyrium. Dangerous. Uh, it is also worth noting that, re- that lyrium, uh, in both of these forms... Can be as he does appear in the Fade, as well as the Waking World. It seems to bridge the gap between the Waking World and the Fade itself, because of its magical nature. So even in the Fade, you are not going to be safe from that red lyrium. Yep. So caution is advised when dealing with lyrium, but it is a great source of magic. Um, we'll talk real quick about the limits of magic. What can magic do, and what can it not do? Uh, it is a it is great and powerful, and it is feared, uh, but it is not without its own limits. Let's say magic can light a village on fire. You can knit bones and organs back together. You can call demons. Uh, you can draw blood from victims to fuel more spells. But you can't do anything with magic. There are some things, some hurdles that just ha- that just have not been jumped. Uh, magic cannot cause immortality. Uh. Um. Well, well, not anymore. I mean, the Dalish might have a different story. Yeah. You know, how the ancient elves used to be immortal. And, uh, you know, had rituals and stuff for it. Oh, right, right. Well, they had, they had rituals. Yeah, Uthanera. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. You know, 
a so, lot of sleep. But these days, nobody really yeah. is. These days, going nobody, to be able to do nobody that. has figured out how to use magic to preserve themselves forever. Even Xenon the Antiquarian certainly tried. Well, I mean, I guess he technically does have immortality, but he didn't yeah. stop aging. <laughs> Poor yeah, guy. yeah, immortality, but not eternal youth. It didn't work out so well for That's him. That's rough. Um, magic cannot allow you to physically enter the Fade. Uh, the Veil is an impassable barrier. While people may project their minds, physical objects and people cannot enter the Fade. Keep in mind that there are probably exceptions to each and every one of these. Yes. But they can probably be counted on one hand. Yeah, correct. Each of, these ha- each of these rules has been broken at least once. And yep. usually only once. Um, like this next one, uh, Raising the Dead. Though a healer could bring someone back from the brink of death and practically stitch them back together, once someone passes, they are lost forever. Yep. Death is final in Dragon Age. There is no raised dead magic. Um, only, see, only in incredibly specific circumstances, which are a little spoilery. Yeah, don't um, talk about who or what. Nope. But it has happened once in once. one of the books. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, um, magic cannot cause, there is no teleportation. Magic cannot move people great distances in the blink of an eye, which also technically has a rule that's kind of been broken. Yeah. Um, and of course, magic items can't, let's see, our, uh, magic items technically can't break any of these rules either. Uh, they are bound by the same, they are bound by the same limits of normal magic. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, one of the, each of these has been broken at least once in Dragon Age's history, but that is the point of making great stories, is to find the exceptions to those rules. Or create um, them. Or create them. Now, usually breaking these rules, uh, if possible, comes at a very high price. It is not always very simple to break these rules. Uh, it usually never is. So, um, can make a great story if, uh, if mages start figuring out how to break those rules, um, and what kind of pandemonium might be unleashed if uh, someone finds a way that they can replicate breaking those rules. <coughs> we need to probably... Let's see, what, where are we at for time? Oh, only got a couple more page. Uh, got a little more we page. got a while. Uh, we're at one hour and 30 seconds. We need to probably truncate this a bit. Okay. <laughs> Don't expect to be the one to invent the raised dead spell. No. That's in Fantasy Age. You can go play in that one. Fantasy Age uh, Fantasy Age is a little kinder. But, um, so what's it like to be a mage in Thetis? Well, by and large, it's kind of terrible. It kind of stinks. Yeah, it's not that great. Well, you have all this power at your fingertips, but people always expect you to wear skirts. <laughs> yeah, long skirts. Mage robes. It, it's a robe. Yeah, I mean, what's wrong with skirts and robes? <laughs> I mean, now I would be more upset about the hats. You know, that's fair. That's Those fair. Are some really bad hats. Those hats are weird. <laughs> but uh, it can be really tough. <laughs> uh, outfits aside, outfits aside, it can be difficult because uh, unless you're from some very specific areas, uh, people are afraid of you. Oh yeah, you grew up with people being afraid of you, and if you mm-hmm. grew up anywhere that is uh, one of the, most of the you know Orle, Ferelden, Antiva, Navarra, Anderfeld. Anywhere that's Andrastian. Yeah, if you it, or anywhere that's white Andrastian. Right. Correct. Then the you white were uh, you were probably caught. If, I mean, if, assuming the Templars caught you, mm-hmm. if you're not an apostate, then you were caught by the Templars and you were taken to a, a circle mm-hmm. of magi. And that's if true. you were 
taken to a circle and not killed on the spot, you're pretty fortunate. Yeah. That's probably the best way to be a mage in Dragon Age. <coughs> best yeah. way to be a mage of the age. It's a... Uh... It's less complicated, at least. Mm-hmm. If you live in Tevinter, it's probably a lot more awesome. <laughs> in, a, in, in ways, it's it's better and it's also worse. It's true. Um, because if you're born as a mage in Tevinter, that's celebrated. Yep. Um, magic is a big deal. Magic is, you know, is is the thing. Because Tevinter is a mageocracy. Every, uh, pe- only the people who have magic get to rule Tevinter. So you are part of the social elite. Let's see. Of course, uh, let's see. If you uh, live in Tevinter and um, you're part, and you're not part of a noble family, or your family has never had magic before, then you're part of the latent class, which basically means non-noble mages, mages who cannot have their uh, lineages uh, traced back to the original dreamers of Tevinter. Um, if you are, let's see, if you are an Altus, however, part of the uh, noble families, your parents probably expected you to be a mage when you were born, mm-hmm. um, and probably, in fact chose their spouses to make sure that you would become a, a, a potent mage. Yep. Uh, but you are the social elite. Let's see. Don't forget, however, that everyone else in the social elite, elite in Tevinter is also a mage. And uh, they all like to use magic to make people go away. They are all kind of jerks. Uh, especially if you are getting in the way of something they want. Yep. And... There's no, then you are in big trouble. So That's when it becomes even less safe than being that, a circle mage. That's when it becomes even less safe than being a circle mage, especially especially if you're an Altus, because then you got a lot more to lose than a Layton does. Yeah, although it's nothing compared to what uh, Kunari mages have to Ooh, deal with. Yeah, if you're a Kunari mage, uh, depending on whether you are Talvashoth or not, you're going to get very different treatment. If you are an Orthodox Kunari, if you come from Parvalin, uh, and you are born and found, you were born to have magic, uh, they immediately call you a Sarabas, a dangerous thing. Um, they, it's a, they chain your hands together, stitch your lips shut, place heavy metal blinders in your face, and even cut off your horns to mark you to keep everyone safe from you. Uh, an old Kunari saying is, magic is to a mage what the ocean is to a drowning man. The Kunari do not believe that magic can truly be controlled, even by uh, even by their mage cousins. So they take every precaution to protect themselves and others from you. Uh, which is probably why uh, there are no backgrounds that allow you to come directly from the Kuhn and yeah. also be a mage. It's just not something you do. Um, if you're a Talvashoth, uh, you can of course be a mage. You can uh, generally uh, see a comparatively kind of treatment. You may not be entirely trusted until you can reasonably control your gift, but they, but the Talvashoth very rarely send one of their own to the Circle of Magi, but that could be a really interesting story, actually. Mm-hmm. Or to be an escaped Sarabas. Mm-hmm. Or to be an escaped Sarabas. Ooh, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah, go for it. <coughs> so you are likely to get to stay with your family and train on your own, unless there's a mage nearby who can teach you. Um, and, of course, all Talvashoth uh, mages are also considered apostates, and they usually try to avoid the Chantry. Yep. And, of course, if you are an elven mage and you live in the cities, you're going to a circle of magi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're a Dalish elf with magic, you get, to be, you get to be a keeper. It's neat. You get to be a keeper. You're you get to run. You're still an apostate. <laughs> you're still an apostate. If the Templars catch you, they're going to have words, by which we mean swords. Yeah. Um, sword words. Word sword swords. words. Word swords. Um, but mages are very, I mages are very needed by the Dalish. Yeah. Uh, they're actually, it's one of the other cultures wherein they're celebrated. Mm-hmm. Just... Quietly and... Quietly and with plenty of caution. 
because yes. if there are too many mages in a, in a in a group, then they start to get a little wary that something bad's going to happen. So they might send you to a different clan to live with someone else. You know, after you've grown up with all these all these folks and found a family, here go to this other family because you can throw fireballs. That's great, and that's and that's that's why dangerous. we built a nation. Uh huh. Now all the mages get to come here. They all get a formalized education. See, see, works out. Works uh-huh. out, Brasilia. Brasilia, bringing it back. Bringing it back. Oh yeah. But I think... I think we've tapped out our mana for this yeah, I episode. I think my mana is all tapped out. <laughs> Don't think I started with full bars. Hey, you know. That's okay. Well, we'll go get a night's sleep and we'll recharge our mana because we're going to need it to get back to work or doing whatever it is we're doing tomorrow. So thank you all so much for joining us in the Wonders of Fittest podcast. This has been a most enchanted evening having you all here. Thank you all very much. Um, this is Ren wishing lots of sixes on that dragon die. And this is Jessica wishing you good heels and happy feels. Thank you all so much for joining us. And uh, let's, see, have a, let's see, have a wonderful whatever comes next. Yep, whatever it is, hope it's pretty awesome. All right, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.